We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and I am your host. And joining us for a very special crossover event is Mr. Daniel Popper tonight of The Athletic. Uh, Popper, how are you doing, and what are you drinking tonight? Doing great. Tonight, we're drinking Bud Light. <laughs> Just the classic beer. I was watching the games on Saturday, had nothing to do, made myself some chicken wings. And the only thing that you can eat with buffalo wings, in my opinion, the only thing you can drink with buffalo wings is Bud Light. So I have a 12-pack in there, and we're having one tonight because it is a Hops with Pop Guilty as Charged crossover episode. Yes, super excited about that. I have to say the wings look fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I, the baking soda, apparently I never heard of that. So we'll, I'm going to have to try that, you know, in the next next few weeks. Probably I'll do that for for Sunday for the AFC NFC championship game. Yeah. I got the tip from my, my little brother. I forget the chef's name. It's Kenji something. It's a, it's a long name. I can't remember, but yeah, basically you put the baking powder on it and then you just throw them in the oven and you get like the same kind of crisp you get if you fry them and they're healthier and then just do a little Frank's and butter, throw them on top, a little celery and uh, carrots on the side, a little blue cheese, Bud Light, and you're living the dream. I'm, I'm, I'm like living my life as a, as a, as a football fan, instead of being somebody that's working 16 hours every single Sunday when football's going on. <laughs> yeah, you're not, staying, you're not staying at the stadium until 4 a.m. Yeah, exactly, Sunday. exactly. Uh, so Alex is here as well, man. Alex, uh, how are you doing tonight? And uh, what are you drinking tonight? 
Uh, I have a vodka crayon. I also want to say that in the chat, Tyler uh, sent in a super chat and said, send Steven beer money. <laughs> Steven uh, cannot drink, but uh, me and Popper will do enough of the drinking for him on this podcast. I'm disappointed that Steven doesn't have a Mountain Dew. I know. I uh, I had to work late tonight, so I have water. That's what, I, that's what I'm drinking tonight. Steven, but... here's, here's a Coke I just got from my fridge for you. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, Listen, perfect. H2O, very important. Yeah. And, Exactly. It's higher than the chat as well. Uh, this definitely is the real Daniel Popper. So, because <laughs> I just hopped in there and I asked a question that didn't get a- answered. Did you guys see the question that I asked? I don't remember. I, I don't it, remember. Why didn't John either. Hightower get a chance this season? Thanks for asking. So, or uh, thanks for answering. So, can you guys give me an answer? We, we, we still don't know why John Hightower didn't get a chance this year. <laughs> that's, I was that's in the there. No one knew it was me. I didn't know how to prove it was me. What should I have said? <laughs> It's there like was that, probably nothing because we, we've actually gotten fake like bot yeah. Dan, accounts that are called Daniel Popper with your picture that are not real and have like three subscribers. Guys, stop so. doing that. Not that cool. But it's like that Twitter prompt that's like if you get kidnapped, what's the one thing you would say that everyone knows it's you? Uh, and I got put in the spot there and I had no answer. Yeah, we asked you what you were drinking. And it was it was too easy of a question. We should have we should have said something more difficult. I said Sauvignon oh. Blanc. People, yeah, the, you I, said Sauvignon like Blanc in the chat, and then yeah. Stephen and Tyler were like, "What's Sauvignon Blanc?" I'm like, "It's Sauvignon Blanc." <laughs> yeah, that's one, that was, those are my sad boy streams. The sad boy streams have Sauvignon Blanc. There we go. There we go. So uh, obviously, very happy to be joined by the real Daniel Popper tonight. We're gonna have uh, a lot of fun asking him some of these questions about the off season, obviously about uh, the latest coaching news and things like that. Uh, if we have time, I'm pretty sure we will. We'll uh, take some questions from the chat. Um, so get those ready. Don't ask them yet because I don't want you guys to uh, miss out on uh, having them uh, answered by Mr. Daniel Popper. And obviously, if you want to throw us a super chat, you know, feel free that we'll uh, definitely make sure we get your question answered. So nice so. that I don't have to police the chat. This is fantastic. <laughs> you don't even have to look at it. <laughs> yeah, you, you just uh, do your thing. You know, we'll ask you the questions and then, you know, we'll... Uh, We'll be your mods for the night, as, as always. Now, we'll have a good conversation. Um, and as always, if you are watching this, please make sure and take a second and like the video, subscribe, turn those notifications on. We'll have a lot of uh, great content coming your way throughout the offseason. So, Popper, uh, we've had a little bit of time now after the coaching decisions. Um, you've been pretty vocal about why the Chargers have uh, decided to, to keep Brandon Staley and, and obviously fire Joe Lombardi. Do you think that was the right decision for this team uh, moving forward and, and trying to maximize this uh, Justin Herbert uh, rookie contract window? Yeah, I think it was the right decision. And the reason I say that is I so Sunday was baggy day. So not this this Sunday, but the Sunday after the Jaguars game and, and baggy day, all the players are, are cleaning out their lockers. And so you can just kind of bounce around and just talk to a bunch of guys you know, tell everyone to have a good off season, chat about, you know, the season, all that kind of stuff. And just talking to a bunch of these defensive guys, you know, the, the main thing was obviously there was support for Brandon and what he did. But the, the main through line was if you bring a new coach in, you have to start over. And it's not necessarily just starting over from a scheme perspective. It's starting over with that relationship and building that trust in the coaching staff. And I feel like that part is what's been missing in a lot of these conversations is that there is a human element to all of this. And so when you bring in a new coach, 
yeah, the scheme might be fantastic, but the players have to buy in and the players have to trust the coaching staff to put them in the right positions. And that takes time. You cannot you know, fast forward through that process. The only way to build good relationships, which, which ultimately is the, you know, results in a good culture is by going through the process and, and having that time together. And all of the players that I talked to and a lot of the players I talked to, it wasn't any, you know, it wasn't cameras. It wasn't some big thing where you're, you know, trying to get guys on the record. It's just talking. And all of the players to a guy said, we believe in him. And there is a certain level of trust in him. And, and one player was even telling me that, you know, he's, he's so open to um, feedback, you know, and, and there were, there were moments during the season where that player, you know, was having difficulties in a specific thing, whether it's uh, you know, a specific blitz, a specific coverage. And he went up to Brandon and he said, Hey coach, this is not working for me. And they sat there together one-on-one and figured out a way to adjust that specific call. So that player felt more comfortable. Like that's the stuff that you don't really hear about and that doesn't really get talked about. Um, and so I think from a leadership standpoint, he did a fantastic job this season leading the Chargers through a lot of adversity. Um, and then just building that re- those relationships, I think that there is a good culture from that perspective. Um, and then on top of that, like I know that there was a collapse in, in Jacksonville, but on aggregate, the defense was finally playing at the level that I think everyone expected it to be playing at down the stretch of the season. It was the reason that they made the playoffs. And I think there's a way to view it as, hey, once Brandon Staley can get a coordinator in here that's running the offensive scheme that he wanted to run all along, if the defense continues on the trend that it was down the stretch of the season, that there is hope that the Chargers will keep building. And the last thing I would say is like, you're looking for progress, you know, and, and a lot of people, you know, you know, compare how I, you know, covered Anthony Lynn over his last two seasons to how I'm covering Brandon Staley. Like there were obvious steps back in, in Anthony Lynn's final two seasons. Like, yeah, he had a great start. You had the 12 and four season, 2018, you know, make the playoffs, win a playoff game. But over those next two seasons, they were out of the playoffs come December. And there were huge steps back from a management game management standpoint. You know, that Patriots game, 45 to nothing at home, was just a horrifically coached game on every level. You haven't seen those steps back yet. Two years in, you had nine and eight, probably should have made the playoffs in that first year, didn't. Second year, you make the playoffs. So you're seeing progress. And until I see that really noticeable step back, you kind of have to see this thing through and see where it goes. So, you know, it's a huge question. There's a lot that goes into it, but those are the things that I would say when I say, Hey, like, I think that sticking with Brandon Staley was the right decision. Yeah. I want to follow up on Brandon Staley further. Um, You were obviously at the Wednesday press conference uh, after the Jags game where it felt like, or at least per Twitter and per the reporters who were there, every national media reporter is in the room and it was certainly a bigger crowd and probably the first controversial Chargers press conference I've, I've ever watched in my lifetime. Um, so I wanted to hear what you thought about, you know, Brand Staley's answers that he gave and sort of his handling kind of uh, of that moment with all these, you know, national reporters or, you know, if you want to call them kind of sharks in the water that were kind of maybe coming for some Brandon Staley blood in that press conference. Yeah, I mean, I, it was a lot of L.A. media. I didn't necessarily see like a lot of national reporters like Bill Plaschke was there and, and went at, at him a little bit. I mean, like, let's be real. When you have a moment like that, there should be backlash. Right. Like that's, and like it's it's our job as reporters to hold powerful people accountable. And like there are a lot of fans that pay good money to go watch this team play. And and there were mistakes made. 
you blew a 27 point lead. You know, you played your starters in week 18 and Mike Williams was not able to play in that playoff game. And that was a massive part of the Chargers loss. And so like those questions had to be asked. I'm always going to be there to ask those questions. Um, And I felt like overall, I thought he handled it well. The one thing that I can't wrap my mind around is why he keeps talking about roster sizes when he when he talks about playing his starters in week 18. It didn't make sense after Mm -hmm. the game. It still doesn't make sense. It's not, I know that it's not the reason why he played his starters, but he keeps saying it. And I wrote about that. That's the one thing that I can't understand. It feels like to me, after the game, he's heated. Obviously, Mike Williams gets hurt. They lose the game to the Broncos. Um, and he gets defensive and says something that really isn't logical and doesn't want to back off from what he said after the game and admit that what he said wasn't the real reason. The real reason was, you know, what he said about the 2007 Giants, about Tom Coughlin playing his starters in that week 17 yeah. game and the Giants winning the Super Bowl. It's about the Rams in 2017 playing, not playing their starters in week 18 and coming out flat in the postseason, which is fine. Like, I don't agree with it, but at least I can understand the logic there. The roster size thing makes no sense, and that's why I pushed back on it. Because you go go look at the snap counts. I wrote about it. JT Woods not played defensive snap. Dean Leonard played two off defensive snap. Raheem Lane pay, played, you know, 13 defensive snaps. You can sort of go down the list. Derek Tuska played 14 defensive snaps. Like those guys could have played a lot more. There was a clear pathway to getting your starters out of the game earlier or not playing them at all, unless you absolutely had to. Um, And so that's why I'm pushing back there. That's really the only hang up I had with the press conference overall. um, You know, I was more interested in those moments about like figuring out what the OC search was going to look like. Mm -hmm. And I was in there asking like my nerdy questions about, you know, coaching trees and, and all that kind of stuff. Everyone else wanted to know, like, did he was his job ever at stake? All of that kind of stuff. Like, I don't asking those questions. Like, he's not going to be like, yeah, my job was at stake. Like, yet yeah, ownership told me that I could potentially go. He's never going to say that publicly. Um, otherwise, I, outside of the the week eighteen explanation that he tried to double down on, I thought it was, I thought it was fun. Yeah, I mean, we were on the same page here about the the week eighteen thing in terms of like the backlash and and, and the the roster construction was really kind of mindfully me focused because I, I think you understand why he played them. I think you played them for too long, but the way that he kind of explained it as like a roster size thing still doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Like play two tight ends, just like do what the giants did and play yeah. 12 personnel the entire second half of the game. Like you don't need to have Keenan in there. There's no reason. Yeah. And, and also, also, also just say that, you know, the other <clears throat> reasons he gave in that press conference were, you know, the Tom Brady thing, which Tom Brady doesn't miss a game, but the Buccaneers, if I'm not mistaken, pulled Tom Brady after the first quarter, you know, you left <laughs> Justin Herbert in there for three quarters. He was right. right. The only games that Brady had missed in the regular season in his Patriots career was when he tore his ACL right. and then when he was suspended for Deflategate. So, like, it was accurate. I mean, not totally accurate because he did miss games, but, right. I, you know, the premise makes sense to me. Yeah. Like, coaches have done it in the past. Sean McVay, like, regrets doing that in 2017. Not, obviously, Brandon and, and Sean McVay have a close relationship. So, like, I can understand it. I just don't understand why you keep throwing out this explanation that we can all see with our eyes when we look at the, at the, at the, at the, you know, game book and can see the snap counts that it's just not accurate, like at all. Right. If he had just said from the beginning, like, Hey, we looked at the 2007 giants. We looked at Brady. We wanted to play these guys. I think nobody would have had an issue. It's, it's just like the gymnastics of saying like, well, we were constrained by the roster. We don't have 90 guys like college or preseason. And it's like, well, you, you can work around that. And I think that's, that's the big issue that people have. So, uh, you mentioned the the offensive coordinator search. Um, obviously, that kind of picked up today uh, in, in kind of a big way. The Chargers obviously 
held their interview with Rams quarterback coach Zach Robinson. Um, they still have uh, interviews coming with Gerard Johnson, the assistant quarterbacks coach with the Vikings, Tennessee Titans tight end coach Luke Steckel, the Rams offensive assistant Greg Olson, Rams tight end slash associate head coach Thomas Brown, and then kind of the, the, the big name, if you will, today that came out was obviously Buffalo Bills quarterbacks coach Joe Brady. Um, you obviously have, have kind of highlighted that Brandon Staley is, is really focusing in on, on the McVay-Shanahan principles. Joe Brady's not really that kind of tree. Do you think, well, uh, I guess my question I'm going to ask here, obviously Brandon Staley mentioning that they're going to cast a wide net here. How much wider do you think we see this net? And do you think there's a clear favorite at this point of, of who the uh, OC is going to be? So this is an interesting conversation because I don't think the net is as wide as it might appear. One ulterior motive during interviews that Tom Telesco has exercised in the past is interviewing opponents for the next season. Coaches from those staffs. Mm -hmm. Everyone lost their minds when he interviewed Jason Garrett for in the head coaching cycle. You want to know who was on the, the charger schedule the next season? The Cowboys. So think about the three names that you threw out that aren't Sean McVay related. All on the schedule next year. Joe Brady with the Bills, Luke Steckel with the Titans, yeah. and Johnson with the Vikings. So, like, yeah, they're casting a wide net, but there is an ulterior motive here where they are, you know, just trying to gain as much information as possible. It's like a, it's a legal way to gain information on opponents for the next season. I'm not saying that's that's the reason they're talking to these guys. Obviously, there's some consideration that they could be the OC, um, but that's that's a part of it. And I think that's something to monitor is like, okay, are, are these coaches they're interviewing, like, like is there no ulterior motive to, to sort of gather information there? I get the sense that Brandon Staley is making a decision here that's going to ultimately decide his, his position, his future here with the Chargers. The first time around, he had a clear vision for the offense he wanted to run. I've, I've written about it. He wanted Mike McDaniel. He wanted Nathaniel Hackett. And he wasn't able to get the those guys. He wanted Kevin O'Connell all blocked. And he ended up, you know, he had communication with all those guys. He ended up with Joe Lombardi. Now that he has a second chance and with the stakes on this decision, I can't imagine he's going to make any other decision than going with the offensive scheme that he prefers, which is, you know, the Shanahan, McVay, LaFleur tree of guys. Um and that's sort of where I'm at with it. And you see it with Zach Robinson. You see it with Thomas Brown. Like, I really believe that is going to be the path that they take unless they somehow get an opportunity to hire like a Frank Reich. Like, I think that's the only way that they would not go in this direction if they can get like a really proven guy like that. And we'll see. I mean, uh, Florio wrote a great little blog post earlier on Pro Football Talk that like the real domino that has to fall is Sean Payton mm -hmm. Reich interviewed for two jobs that Payton is in contention for with the Panthers and the Cardinals. So like, it feels like the decision is not going to be made until Reich until Payton makes his decision. Reich makes his decision. It feels like he should get another head coaching job, but coaching Justin Herbert. Yeah. Living in, you know, Newport beach. Sounds pretty good. And like, if there's one job in the league right now that will absolutely propel, propel you to a head coaching opportunity, it's this one. 
Like this is the best non-head coaching job in the league. Period. And so like in if you're in Reich's position, I think the Panthers job is appealing. I think they have a lot of really good young players. You got to figure out quarterback, right? But like there's reason to be hopeful there that you could build something. The Cardinals, I'm not touching that. Like I wouldn't no. do that. <laughs> like no shot. And so like okay, come coach Justin Herbert for two years and see what's available after that. Like that sounds pretty good to me, but like, I, I would say it's like, it's that guy, like that really established play caller. I don't know if there's another guy out there. Like, I don't even know if I would throw Hackett in that ring just because of what happened in Denver. I think it's like, if Reich's available, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. He obviously has a history with the organization. If it's not that guy, then it feels like it's going to be somebody with like a, like a really close connection to Sean McVay. And that's sort of where I'm at with it. And I, I don't know if it's the right decision, but like he has one more chance to get this right. And it feels like he's going to go with the system that he believes in. And a guy that knows that system very well. Like Thomas Brown is a guy that absolutely knows the system very well. Zach Robinson as well. Both those guys have spent multiple years on McVay staff. So that's sort of where I'm at with it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think he either kind of leans on potentially the experience of a Reich, like you said, or, you know, if he wants to just purely run his system, then I think Zach Robinson uh, and Thomas Brown make a whole you know ton of sense there with the built-in relationships and everything. Um, I wanted to ask you about something you asked Tom Telesco uh, regarding Keenan Allen's uh, you know status on the team, the cap hit going forward. So for those that don't know, you sort of asked about Keenan Allen's uh, cap hit next year, the fact that the Chargers per over the cap can save $17.5 million if they decided to release him. And Telesco kind of gave you a Telescoian answer, if I would call it that, which is that he said, you know, we like players over cap. Uh, we, you know, kind of would essentially prefer to keep Keenan, but also never really committed to bringing Keenan Allen back, right, in a, in a Telesco kind of way, uh, which is, a, I assume, how you would I asked him if he was tempting. Well. I, right. This is, I'm, I'm now entering my fifth season covering the team, and I'm starting to figure out how to phrase questions wow, five. to get <laughs> – isn't that crazy to get yeah, like is. actual information out of him or to like force him to speak in absolutes? Because if he does speak in absolutes, that's usually a tell to me that he's lying. Sam Tevy and left tackle feet come to mind there. You know, he, he very like if he really doesn't want to talk about something, he'll just, you know, he will he'll, sometimes he'll just say, I don't answer those types of questions or whatever. But I mean, like, this is why, you know, talking to people sometimes doesn't give you as much information or as much accurate information as just following the numbers and trusting your eyes with what you're seeing on tape. And in this case, like they're $19 million, almost $20 million over the cap. And I know you guys study the cap. Where is that coming from? Like, sure, they can get Herbert's cap hit down marginally with the extension, but where else is the money coming from? Because there aren't that many outs in these contracts. You know, there's Khalil, there's Khalil Mack but he just traded for him. And we know how Brandon Staley feels about him. And they already restructured his contract last off season. You have Keenan Allen, you have Matt Filer, you have Michael Davis. Like those are the big sharks that you can look at in terms of clearing cap space, you know? And so Michael Davis at 9.4 million, it's crazy to say this now, but Michael Davis on a $9.4 million cap, it is like massive value because he was like outstanding, like outstanding down the stretch of the season. You could make, a really strong case that he was the best defensive player for the chargers down the stretch of the season. So like, I don't know if that one makes as much sense as it did in like week five, you know? 
right. especially with what's going like pre JC Jackson injury. Filer, I think, is is one that makes sense because you can sort of slot Jamari Salyer in at left guard, and you feel pretty good about it. Just you know, with the way he played at left tackle, you feel like guard is more is better suited to you know his athleticism, his movement, all of that kind of stuff. And you feel like you know he played a lot of left guard in in camp last year, so you feel okay about that. And then it's like okay, but that's six and a half million. You still have another thirteen right. million to clear. You do a Herbert extension, you save another what four or five million. You still like this is just to get cap compliant. This is not even to create space to go to like go after uh, free agents to sign your draft class. Like there's there's a lot of moves that have to be made here, and it's so like okay, how do you how do you find that money if it's not the you know between fourteen to eighteen million that you can clear with Keenan Allen, you know, and that's sort of where I'm at with it. Yeah, if I had to put you on the spot, percentage chance that Keenan Allen starts with the Chargers in 2023. Wow. Exact answer. I like it. Yeah, I mean, you're putting me on the spot. I might as well come up with a number. I just, like, I don't know. Like, I trust the numbers. I follow the money. Like, when I think about roster construction, I look at the money. And, like, how do you get this cap compliant without cutting Keenan Allen? Or, I guess, restructuring him. But the problem is people think about, like, oh, restructuring. Great. You just clear cap space. Perfect. That money just gets prorated to future seasons. It's not like it just disappears. Like eventually right. you have to wear it. And this team very rarely does restructures. They did it with Khalil because it made a ton of sense with the way that his contract was structured after the trade because you're not taking on any signing bonus when you trade for a player. So there's no money prorated over the remainder of the contract. So you can sort of explain that away and make it palatable because there is no prorated signing bonus over the remainder of the contract. But like on contracts that they signed, like I can't remember the time they re- last time they restructured somebody. I don't know if you guys can, but like the one they could do is Joey. I don't know if like restructuring Keenan makes a ton of sense. Cause you only have one year remaining on the contract. You end up getting a big dead money charge the following year. I guess it's possible. I'm not ruling it out, but like if you're trying to clear space, like he's the guy, you know, and you feel like Josh Palmer can play in the slot. The problem is, and we can talk about this. Like, they didn't draft a receiver last year and that is right. absolutely coming back to bite them. And it was something that we talked about so much like, Hey, it might be good to like, you know, add a receiver with some speed for this year. But like, now it's like, okay, now you, if you do cut Keenan, you have to draft a receiver. Like you have to, in like the and first, probably in the first round. Yeah. Probably yeah. in the first round. Cause he's gotta be a dude, you know? Cause like Palmer is what he is. Like, I don't know. He's a good player. Good, good role player. Right. Like, I think he's going to be, he's a really good third receiver, but is he a number two receiver in this league? I haven't seen that from him yet. They certainly think he can be that type of player. I think they were hoping for him to become that player this year to make the Keenan Allen move more palatable. But you put yourself in a tough spot here. And and what they always try and function as is like, okay, we want to be really flexible come draft time. We can go in any direction that we want to. If you do cut Keenan, there's like, you, it's like back to what it was in 2021 where it's like, you got to take a tackle. Like you don't have a choice. You have to like, if it's not Slater, it's Christian Derisoff, who is a decent player, by the way. So I got to pat myself on the back for that, but <laughs> it's, it's not exactly how they typically like to operate. And so I don't know. It's tough, but 38.7 is where I'm at. Yeah. Um, I think also to your point there, like if they do cut Keenan and they're not able to bring back Trey Pipkins, it's like, then they, 
like you you have to pencil them in for tackle or receiver in the first two rounds like they they won't get the chance to add any of these other talented playmakers that they need or any potential defensive help or something like that so right, right. I mean, it's gonna be very edge. interesting and you need an edge like you need, yeah. need like it's you're gonna go into this draft like needing positions like they need an edge and what's crazy is Khalil and Joey are going to account for almost $60 million in cap space next year. Yeah. Like, that's insane. Like, even if the cap goes up to 235, that's still like 25% of your cap, more than 25% of your cap on two edge rushers, one of whom didn't really play last year, the other one who's going to be 32. Like, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, that's. I want an edge rusher in the first round because that's just, you know, that's the spot you have to take these kind of players to, to get difference makers. But if they have to cut Keenan Allen, then they have to take a receiver. And if they're not able to bring back Trey Pipkins, they have to take an offensive tackle. Like it's. Yeah. I feel like they got to bring Trey back because I like, I don't know if his value internally is going to match his value externally, like his, Mm -hmm. his market value, just because. Like, I don't know. You, you tweeted about this earlier today, Stephen. Like, people are being like, yeah, <laughs> offensive tackle of the Chargers. And Roderick everything Jones. Will be, everything will be solidified. It's like, well, they got a good right tackle, but he was yeah. just injured the whole year and got his knee rolled into like 7 billion times over the course of 17 games. He he was outstanding for the first four games of the season, and he was still like solid, average, functional right tackle even while playing on one leg. Okay. So I don't know. Like, I feel like a lot of – like, the out, the out you know, other teams will – will know he had an injury but the extent to which he played through like i don't know if all the other teams will know that and so i feel like the chargers might be able to get good value there but like they have to get the space to do it right first and there aren't that many avenues to do it yeah i mean obviously we saw them be pretty out of character last offseason and be very aggressive and they're probably gonna have to be out of character again this year and, and figure out how to restructure some contracts and move yeah. some people that they don't want to move around so yeah um the bank definitely of that will be open yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll get into some uh, questions from the chat. So if you haven't had the chance the to Chad, the Chad. ask here, the Chad, the excuse me. Episode, it is the Chad. The Chad, excuse me, my mistake. Uh, <laughs> hopefully we don't have to ban anybody today. Uh, so be on your best behavior, I guess. So uh, yeah, we'll get to some questions. Names I could have done instead of offseason pop. I could have gone with the real Daniel Popper. I could have gone with <laughs> Chad. I just, it's just a missed opportunity. I feel bad about it. <laughs> No, it's a it's a great name. Offseason Pop is a fantastic name. It's safe, is what it is. All right, Alex, if you uh, find a question, feel free to uh, pull it up. All right. What is Popper's last name? My last name is Popper. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of the Hopper coaching, Popper. yeah, Hopper Popper. One of the candidates I am interested in because he's he's not necessarily like majored in the Sean McVay world. Um, but Dan Pitcher, the Bengals quarterbacks coach, do you think that's somebody that they would be interested in? You know, kind of similar vein as, as Joe Brady, I guess, where has some kind of crossover, but not necessarily like I said, you know, from that McVay Lafleur world that uh, Staley seems to be wanting. Yeah, he he feels a little bit closer to that world just because he's worked for three years now, four years, three years under Zach Taylor, who has like that direct tie to to McVay. 
Um, he's a guy I listed on my candidates list for a reason. Like I, I did spend a lot of time putting my candidates list together. I know it wasn't like super long, but that's because I felt like the six guys that I had had on there, like all had a really good shot. He's a guy I would expect them to interview at some point. Um, we will see. Um, there is like a weird kind of like Joe Burrow Herbert factor to it where like, I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff with that draft class, you know, with the Tua Herbert debate, the Burrow Herbert debate. I wonder if there's like a little bit of pause in bringing in a guy who's coached Joe Burrow and seen him have so much success about like what that would, what that would create in the QB room environment. That's the only thing I could think of. Otherwise, you know, he's a really good candidate. He has that direct tie to, you know, Zach Taylor, who obviously is a McVay guy and got his head coaching opportunity because he was the QB's coach under McVay. So I don't have any news on it. He's a guy I heard would, would you know, be a legit candidate for the job. Um, and we'll see. I, I would expect at some point that they'll interview him. So uh, for, for what it's worth, the Bengals not on the 2023 schedule for poppers uh, points <laughs> there with we go. The i mean every i'm telling you every candidate they interview the first thing you should check is is the team on the 2023 schedule yeah. the second thing you should check is what's the tie to kyle shanahan sean mcveigh or matt lafleur and like if you it's like you know it's playing like six degrees separation yeah <laughs> if you get to one of those guys you can get to the other one because they all coached on the same staff in 2012 you know the weird thing is you know, Shane Day has ties yeah. to all of it. Right? In San Francisco and Washington with McVay. And he and in Washington Shanahan. in 2014-15 when McVay was the OC there. So I asked Daly that. I haven't written about it yet, but I asked him, like, why not keep this guy? Right? Like, he, ha- he has a – I know he has a great relationship with Justin. He has familiarity with that style. You know, I'm not saying promote him to OC, but, like – and I understand that if when you bring in a guy – you know, he's going to want to bring in his own QBs coach, probably. But wait and see. You know, yeah. like get rid of Lombardi, have Shane Day keep his keep his position for the time being. And then when you f- find that new OC, see if like that will work. But he's a guy that like has mm-hmm. this experience in a certain style and also has been in the room while they've been teaching this scheme to, to Justin for two years and calling plays and all of this stuff. It seems to me like he would be a really good piece to have as, to help transition, to have that familiarity. Um, Staley said it was about alignment. No, it felt like the same kind of explanation they gave last year when they went, got rid of Darius Swinton, you know? So that's just one thing I've been thinking about, but yeah, I think pitchers an option. We'll see if they get an interview in. Uh, all right. Servando, uh, Bustillos wants to know what are the expectations on JC Jackson? Uh, now with how Mike Davis has played, and do we have a potential timetable on his return? So obviously you posted the screenshot uh, of him at the facility on the bike. He was barely moving the bike. It wasn't It wasn't like this was a huge monumental return. Right. But um, what are you expecting in, in terms of a potential timetable to return for J.C. Jackson? Yeah, I don't think you can have any expectations for him, like, at all. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if he returns and is the same player or he returns and and – isn't anywhere close to the same player or like is never able to return. Cause it's just such a significant injury. And the other piece of it is that there's not a lot of history of these injuries. Um, the Chargers somehow had two of them this season, which is like hard to wrap your mind around. Cause Tito Obonio also had a ruptured patellar tendon. 
Mm-hmm. But the only one that comes to mind is like Victor Cruz had it. And, you know, as far as a case study, that's not like, like super rosy in terms of, you know, what, what JC Jackson can do. Cause Victor Cruz obviously fell off after that. So like right now it's just wait and see, like, and I don't think you can really have any expectations about when he can return, what type of player he's going to be. And that's another part of this Michael Davis decision as well, you know, is like, you can't really rely on JC Jackson in any capacity. So Michael Davis earned the right to be here, but you also like don't have a ton of depth. You know, if you do let Michael Davis go and JC Jackson isn't back until mid season, you have no idea if he's going to be the same player. And we all watched Jasir Taylor play. He was a six round pick, obviously. Like I think he's got some upside, but definitely not like a starting outside corner in this league right now. I think he could probably play in the slot, um, but I think we saw some ups and downs with him. So um, yeah, I think that's part of the, the, you know, the Michael Davis conversation as well. Uh, we did get a super chat from Romy who asked, uh, you, you know, about your question, uh, with Tom Telesco about did adding he, speed. Did he tip you for that? Hmm? Yeah, it's a super you? chat. Yeah. How do I do, how do I do that? <laughs> I honestly don't remember how we got it. Bob's <laughs> like, I want some money. <laughs> how do I do that? No, I'm kidding. Get some bread right, for your money, I mean. <laughs> Um, uh, but he asked yeah. Pop, you asked about uh, Tom Telesco adding speed to the wide receiver room, and he didn't give the most promising answer. Does this staff not value speed of receiver? So you obviously asked, uh, uh, I don't remember if it was you that asked Brandon Staley about speed too, uh, or was that somebody else who? I think that was Nick gave, Cothrell. Yeah, yeah, Nick Cothrell, and then he gave the, you know, marrying the pass game to the run game response uh, in uh, on Wednesday and then on Thursday. I thought Telesco was a little bit more uh, less ambiguous about speed than Staley was, at least in my opinion. But, I mean, it was also a Telesco answer. Um, so what do you think about uh, your interaction with Telesco and adding speed to the wide receiver room? Yeah, I think this whole, like, premise that, like, oh, we just, like, if you have a fast guy out there, like, everyone knows where he's going. Like, don't give me that. Like, we all <laughs> saw this offense. They need you need speed. Like, look at yeah. what speed does to an offense. Like when you right. trade for Tyreek Hill and you have Jalen Waddle, you have the most explosive offense in the NFL when your quarterback is healthy. Like it matters. And like, yeah, sure. You don't just want like a, a you know random speed guy out there that can only do one thing. That's probably the answer as to why John Hightower didn't get called up at any point. This <laughs> season, right? Like, yeah, you like perfect world, you have like a great route runner who's also extremely fast, right? But you, like you need more juice on this offense, and like and I at, and I I push back on Telesco because he's like, well, Mike Williams is great in the deep part of the field. I'm like, <laughs> but, but it takes Mike Williams longer to get to that right. spot right. than a faster guy. And his answer was this: you you guys didn't. I don't know if they put the video. Yeah, I up. saw that. Okay, so he went like this. <laughs> like, this the, the NFL is games are all about this. Yeah, about yeah. gaining this. This is how you don't blow a 27-point lead. Yeah. This is the difference between a Super Bowl winner and somebody who loses in the first round of the playoffs. Like, it's all about gaining these amounts of advantages. So, like, yeah, if you need the protection to hold up this much less, that matters. That matters. And we all see the offense on film and the lack of juice down the field. And also, laterally, like, we're not just talking about running nine routes. We're also talking about the fact that you ran four jet sweeps to DeAndre Carter and they and they went for negative 21 yards this year. 
And that's and then you can factor in the bandy jet sweep, which was a dead play. You go watch it back. Dead play. Going to be a loss of yardage. Part of that is that you don't have guys fast enough to stretch the field vertically or horizontally. So this has to be a priority. And I think part of the answers is that they're defensive about it because they wanted to add speed in the draft and they thought they were going to be able to do it in the mid rounds and it just didn't fall that way. And they had a clear, clear roster hole in that area. And I think they realized that it was a mistake because that was a missing piece of the offense. And I think it absolutely 100% has to be a priority this year. Yeah, I remember uh, Tyler and Arjun were talking about how they were uh, at training camp and they saw them running the DeAndre Carter jet sweep play and they were like, oh man, this one's going to be great for us all year. (laughs) It ended up just never working. After the second one, I think I tweeted like, like burn it. Check it out. (laughs) Like firebomb it to hell. Like it's not going to work. It's very obvious that it's not going to work. Because like, yeah, I mean like DeAndre Carter is like relatively fast but he's like a four four five guy like kind of fast but like well there's no shiftiness there either right and so you know some of it is is scheme right and like having some sort of cohesion in terms of what you're doing on those plays so that there's misdirection so that you're you're doing things right to lead up to that point so that that misdirection does work um but yeah you know like there's an obvious lack of speed with this group, like an obvious, obvious, obvious lack of speed. And like Tom Telesco saying that, like, yeah, Josh Palmer got behind some guys in, in the sec. It's like, that was three years ago. And he had, it was one play against Patrick Sertan that made him into a third round pick. Great route (laughs) against a really good player. But at no point in time has Josh Palmer looked like a really legitimate deep field threat. He caught the one deep ball against the chiefs where he was wide, like wide open. There was nobody around him. That was all about rock, route combination that had nothing to do with the, with like deep field speed. So it's, it's a missing piece. It was a missing piece last year, and now it's an even more glaring missing piece. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll take one more question here. Um, really interesting question from DZ uh, that I think a lot of people are kind of talking about on Twitter. Obviously, Brandon Staley talking about, you know, the marriage of the run in the past and how they feel like they need, you know, kind of a, a, a better identity here. Um, do you think fixing their rushing attack is, is exclusively offensive coordinator related, or do you think it's personnel too? And how do you think the Chargers kind of go about balancing that? Because I know that there's a lot of questions like about Isaiah Spiller and his role with this team going forward and, and stuff like that. So what kind of balance do you think the Chargers have to strike this year with offensive coordinator schematic fix versus also personnel fix? I think it's a really good question. So as always with football, like it's never just one thing. And so I think it is both of those things. And I, I, I think we talked about this the last time I was on here. The tight end blocking <laughs> yeah. was horrific, like horrific this season. And like, that's what happens when you reach for Trey McKitty and he doesn't really develop in his second season. And you sign a guy in Gerald Everett who is what he is at this point. Like you knew what you were getting. Like, yeah, he's a yak monster. And, and he does some things in the passing game, but he's prone to lapses, drops, you know, stopping his routes like in week two against the Chiefs and then um, missing assignments in, in the run game. Like, I think he's capable of blocking well, but he doesn't do it consistently. And then I think Donald Parham has improved, but that's never going to be a, like the strength of his game. And the more times that you have him blocking, the fewer times you have him stretching the field, which is really what he does well down the seams. Yeah. And so, like, the way you built the tight end room 
you, you were never going to be a good blocking unit. And then when you lose one of those pieces and Trey McKitty has to play more, more snaps and you have, you know, Richard Rogers in there, you know, trying to block defensive ends. Like you're, you know, you kind of, you know, what's going to happen in that situation at the same time though, like the feeling that I got is that there was not enough of an emphasis put on the run game in practice, in preparation and coaching they will never say it, but I think Frank Smith was the biggest loss that the Chargers suffered last offseason because he was the run game coordinator. And like that was his primary role on the coaching staff was scheming that stuff up and putting a focus on it every week. And so I think bringing in an OC who is focused on that area in terms of coaching it up and getting it precise in the game plan, in walkthroughs, on the practice field. Like, I think that will also be a big factor in this. And then I think, like, there were a lot of times, and, like, I can't believe I'm saying this because you want to put the ball in Justin Herbert's hands as much as possible. But there were a lot of times where Lombardi would just abandon the run. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to wrap your mind around. Like, and I was talking to players in the locker room, and they were, like, telling me about, like, you know, you know, anecdotally, there were a lot of second downs where we felt like we could run the ball and we didn't, you know. And I was like, all right. I guess like that makes sense watching it, but I went and looked at the numbers second down and two to six second and second and, and manageable. The chargers were last in the league in design rush rate on second down and two to six. They were also last in the league in conversion rate, first down conversion rate and those downs and distances. Mm. And so like, you know, O linemen running backs, they'll talk to you about getting into a rhythm. So some of it is how you prepare, how precise these things are. I think we saw a lot of times during the year, where there were just plays that were dead from the start because Gerald Everett's run into Austin Eckler. And, you know, the, you can tell that it's just not the precision wasn't there in terms of the timing of the run game, you know, but you know, some of it too is, is, you know, that the, the blocking at tight end, you know, and then making sure that you're, you're having that type of precision in terms of how you're coaching it. And then also like not abandoning it right? In those situations when you do get something rolling, like Josh Kelly picks up four yards on first down, like feed him again. doesn't have to be a pass on the next play, yeah. you know? And, and I totally understand, like put it in Justin Herbert's hands as much as possible, but I think it's all of those things together. So it's coaching, it's coaching in the week leading up to it. It's coaching and play calling on game day. And then some of it is also personnel. So a lot of things. Yeah, and and obviously putting it in Justin Herbert's hands as soon as possible when you're as much as possible when you're up twenty seven nothing, right? And you know, being able to not run out that clock was a huge part of why they ended up losing that game. Um, you've been very generous with your time, but I do have to ask you from Sean Parmenter: uh, better tortillas for tacos, corn or flour? Pop culture depends. question. Depends on the taco. Ooh, al pastor, corn, steak, asada, flour. So it depends. Depends what you're depends what meat you're using, what protein. But I like generally I'm a flour tortilla guy. Um, I like the texture better. But like having Alpha Store in a flour tortilla is just wrong. Like it's the flavor combination is not what you're looking for. So again, I'm just evading questions here. I'm not even <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting I'm refusing to speak in absolutes because I'm becoming Tom Telesco. <laughs> you cover him for five years yeah. and you're starting to become him. Yeah. That's the moral of the story here. Fish tacos yeah. are better on corn. I'm seeing in the chat. Fish tacos better on corn tortillas. Yeah, I agree with that too. So, you know, you have your your obviously your hops with pop, but 
on this show, whenever we do a Q&A, we always like to end it with a, a food question. So we've gotten some some weird food questions. I think this was a good food question. So shout out to uh, Sean for that one. I love um, talking <laughs> talk about food all day long, obviously. Okay. Um, all right, Alex, uh, any final thoughts before we head out, man? No, uh, obviously you were very generous with your time, Daniel, and we look forward to you know reading everything from The Athletic in the offseason uh, and look forward to reading some uh, evasive Tom Telesco press conference descriptions to see your takeaways and see if they line up with mine. <laughs> nice. And when the hops are done, pop is done. Pop is done. All right. There we go. Popper, can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to join us tonight. Appreciate all your great insight. Uh, Chargers fans, obviously, make sure and check out uh, Daniel Popper's YouTube channel for Hops with Pop. Make sure and check him out on The Athletic. Uh, it is very well worth the, the subscription to The Athletic alone for Mr. Daniel Popper's coverage. So uh, make sure and go check that out. We'll have the link uh, posted later in the description for him. So uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us tonight. Thanks for the questions. As always, if you're listening to the audio version of this, we appreciate any five-star reviews and uh, ratings. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us tonight. We'll see you guys later.